One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Free Exchange from CapEx. I'm Oliver Wiseman, CapEx's editor. Ever since Theresa May wrote to Donald Tusk to trigger Article 50 two years ago, March the 29th, 2019, has been her Brexit lodestar. The UK's planned departure date has been a point of comparative clarity in what has been an exceptionally turbulent period. This week, the Prime Minister officially abandoned her plan for Britain to leave the EU on time, writing to Donald Tusk to ask for a short extension to Article 50. There is, of course, no guarantee that the EU will accept the request. More generally, with just nine days to go until what was supposed to be Brexit Day, what will happen next remains staggeringly unclear. In an emergency episode of Free Exchange, I gathered three astute Brexitologists to try and make sense of the great riddle of British politics that only gets more complicated. Helping me get my head around the latest developments was the Institute for Government's Tim Durrant, Open Europe's Dominic Walsh, and CapEx's very own John Ashmore. Dom, um, the Prime Minister has written to Donald Tusk and he, uh, she's requested a, an extension to Article 50. The EU needs to say yes, of course. So um, maybe just talk listeners through kind of the next steps for Theresa May if she's going to get this extension. She'll go to the uh, European Council tomorrow and um, she'll ask for an extension. And um, there's going to be a little bit of um, hang, uh, raggling over what exactly a short extension means. So... Um, her letter today suggested 30th of June, but the EU has kind of pushed back on that a bit and said that a short extension would need to be the 23rd of May rather than the 30th of June. So that that difference would need to be ironed out. Um, that presumably though isn't a huge kind of necessarily a huge problem. That that gap in time. Not no, I don't I don't think it's a huge um, problem on the UK side. Obviously, it's less it's uh, it's less time to to ratify things but it's still I, th- I think that's still enough time to get both the withdrawal agreement and the withdrawal agreement bill through at least in theory uh, and um, and Tim we've just we've just heard from Donald Tusk and he um, he's explained some a st- the beginning of the EU's position obviously it's up to EU leaders ultimately but um, he basically wants a, a a vote for Theresa May's deal before an extension is granted. So how do you think that changes um, the dynamics in, in the House of Commons? I mean, Theresa May is going to bring a vote next week, we believe, um, and on, on, on her deal. So how does Tusk's kind of insistence on, on, on a majority, how does, that, how does that change things in Britain? I think it makes clear to, to MPs that, you know, this deal, if it's voted on again next week, as we expect, is kind of, this is the last chance to get this deal through. You know, when they've had meaningful vote one in January, meaningful vote two in March... It was always sort of, oh, well, we can deal with it again later. You know, we'll have another vote, we'll postpone it, it'll come back. This is clearly, you know, it, if it's approved next week, then there's a short extension. Uh, and as Don was saying, that will give time for Parliament to do the necessary ratification processes. If they vote it down again, 
unclear what happens, but there are two options seemingly. Either we leave with no deal at the end of next week or we, the Prime Minister... Crazy as it is to think. Yeah, in, in 10 days' time. Um, or the Prime Minister writes again and says, actually, we haven't passed it, therefore... And, you know, she made this point in, in the comments last week, right, that if we don't have a short one, we have a long one. And a long one could be 9, 12, 21 months, no one's quite sure. But it's either no deal or a long extension seem to be the two options at the moment. Uh, so, John, in that sense, we're kind of, we're kind of back where we started... Uh, a couple of months ago really in the, in the yeah. sense that Theresa May's um, pitch about her deal was basically it's my deal or no deal or no, Brex- or no Brexit um, and she's p- p- sort of pointing in both directions with that and, and actually Tusk has kind of teed her up for making the same argument next week Yeah, I mean it's kind of panning out in the way she probably foresaw in that I think even she knew that her first vote had no chance of going through um, and the strategy, if it's reasonable to call what she's done a strategy, um, seems to have been to kind of try and whistle down the, op- uh, the opposition and use that time pressure to crank up the number of people who will just fall in. I think it was also perhaps predicated on some Labour MPs thinking, oh no, we might get a no deal. I don't see that much sign of that happening at the moment, of any of them really um, switching in the kind of numbers she needs, while at the same time the group of what you could call irreconcilables is, is about let's say for argument's sake 20 at least Tory MPs this is on the Brexiteer side though. yeah on the yeah. Brexiteer side the people who are implacably opposed to that deal they basically want either a no deal or a completely different deal mm-hmm. something more akin to the Lancaster House of Canada plus you know whatever mm-hmm. um, and the problem for, for May is that Labour MPs are not going to vote for it they're not going to use up any political capital if they think the vote's going to be lost anyway. Mm, So she needs to be able to say, well, I've got the DUP on side and the vast majority. But it's this kind of arithmetic problem. I I struggle to see a way around it at the moment. Well, before before we even get to the to being able to, be, to debate this in the Commons, we've got to get past the uh, Speaker first. Um, I say we, I mean the government has to. Um, and so what, I mean, there were some clues in Theresa May's letter today about her plan to do that. Um, Tim, do you want to... Yeah, kind of absolutely. So I think one thing that the PM said in her letter today was about the, uh, the documents that she negotiated with President Juncker and Tusk in Strasbourg uh, from last week. Um, obviously, those were attached to meaningful vote number two. So I don't think, you know, even if the council kind of endorses them in some kind of council conclusions or anything, that doesn't change the content. They were already there. The other thing she pointed to is um, the uh, domestic uh, arrangement, a domestic uh, proposal, uh, which I think reading between the lines is beefing up how, uh, whether it's the Northern Ireland executive, if it ever reforms, or the DUP as a party, mm. uh, can sort of influence the UK government's approach to... Um, both managing the backstop if it ever comes into force and um, potentially influencing and having a say on the future relationship negotiations which are obviously designed to avoid the backstop. That has provoked the ire of the Scottish nationalists who are saying, well, if if the Northern Ireland uh, parties get a say, then why don't other parties across the UK Um, and and devolve governments as well? It's not just the political parties. Um, And we're yet to see the real detail of that. The question is... Does the Speaker, does John Burko consider that a significant enough change that it's not just presenting the same thing back to the mm. Commons? Because that's what he said earlier this week. It's not okay for the government to just keep asking the Commons the same question. Uh, we don't know what he'll think about. I, I just thinking through what mm. Tusk has, has said uh, this afternoon, that kind of makes it kind of heightens the drama even more when it comes to the Speaker, doesn't it? Because actually now you're in a position where um, Burko has 
the, well, he ultimately doesn't necessarily have the power to stop the debate because you, if, there's an, if there's a majority for the yeah. deal, you'd imagine there's a majority for... But nonetheless, he's in a position where he can throw a huge spanner in the government's works. And because of what Tusker says, he would be doing so with the clock ticking in a way that we hadn't really sort of anticipated because it's worth pointing out, we've, you know, Tusk has said this deal, um, sorry, an extension is conditional on a deal being passed. So we basically, all we know, all we know today is what we knew kind of a month ago, which is that if they do pass the deal in the near future, there'll need to be some kind of technical extension, right? So that's all we've got. And the counterfactual question of what happens if the deal does not pass next week is, you know, the, the, the decision is, I guess, a longer extension or, or no deal. So mm. does anyone have any clues as to what Theresa May would be inclined to choose out of those two options, assuming it were up to her? Well, there's also, I mean, there's also a question of whether she actually makes clear to MPs and indeed whether the EU makes clear to MPs what the counterfactual is before mm. the vote. You know, does, does she want to, you know, does, does it serve her interest to make it a deal or no deal vote or a deal or long extension vote? Because I think mm. one of the problems she's had so far is this whole kind of framing of my deal, no deal, no Brexit is the no deal, the no dealers hear the threat of, the, the possibility of no deal and they mm-hmm. think well I can vote against the deal and the no Brexiters hear the threat of no Brexit and they think oh I can vote against the deal so each side so everyone hears can the kind of sleep happily yeah like, every, each of... side hears the message the other side is supposed to see and there's, yeah. the, the, there's, there's a risk that if both long extension which is kind of there's replaced no Brexit in the kind of options and no deal Brexit remain on the table as options alternative to the deal next week then again how does she build a majority if, if both the alternatives are still on the table so does, does anyone here want to kind of present the, ca- the optimistic case for how the deal might get through next week I mean can anyone here see the deal getting through next week mm. <laughs> not really I think I mean crystal ball gazing in Brexit is never a good idea yeah, is it yeah. but, I read but okay were, the, the, were it to how would it have to happen I mean step one is the debate happens step so two presumably is the DUP say got, got without the DUP and you know I mean this is just reports from, from Twitter and the media but it seems like the talks that were happening between the government and DUP earlier this week over the weekend have gone nowhere there doesn't seem to be any sort of clarity about mm. uh, reassurances that are enough for the DUP to, to kind of overcome their um, concerns about the backstop so as you say without them it's not clear that the, there'd be a sizable enough chunk of any Conservative Brexiteers mm. um, who, who will swing and then even, even if that all happens you still need the Labour yeah. kind of national interest block or whatever you want to call mm. it but the people that yeah. decide that like just you know let's just get this yeah. through yeah um I, well one thing i think is you know last week we had the votes on both a no deal brexit and uh, an extension and the commons signal quite clearly that it doesn't want a no deal brexit and um that it is prepared for an extension of any nature we we've not yet seen the Commons really sort of take control of the parliamentary agenda, despite kind of threats to do so. But it, I think it is conceivable that if a, if the deal is voted down, you know, it will try MPs from the sort of the kind of soft Brexit wing of the Conservative Party and the soft Brexit wing of the Labour Party try and team up and say, well, look, we've already told you we don't want no deal and we're happy for an extension. You need to make these things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know yeah. if that's. And, and of course, the um, the last attempt to take control of the parliamentary agenda, which was the Ben Amendment last week, only failed by two votes. Mm-hmm. And Caroline Spellman, who was one of the Conservatives who was initially a signatory to the amendment, ended up voting against it. So all it would take is her for her to flip 
for it to be a tie and then one more Conservative and I can think of several to flip and then mm -hmm. Parliament would take control of the agenda. Well, what does that mean though? I'm always a bit confused by this aspect of Brexit. Parliament taking control of the agenda, um, I mean, explain in sort of more everyday terms how much power that really gives MPs. I mean, because surely at the, the end of the day you need a majority of MPs in favour of a step of a next Brexit step rather mm. than just ruling stuff out. So, so what would that, what, as you see it, what, what would that actually look like? Um, well, I mean, the kind of parliament takes control um, framing of it is often a little bit because a little bit overblown because what it would actually mean is parliament taking the con control of the agenda for one particular day rather right. than kind of in general for months at a time. And generally, I think the idea amongst the MPs who are trying to, uh, in inverted commas, take control is to have what's known as indicative votes. So, you know, put various options, uh, Brexit options to Parliament, um, potentially have a different form of voting because Parliament has this traditional kind of yes-no version of voting that if you have some kind of preferential system or maybe mm -hmm. even a secret ballot so people can't scan through the names of MPs afterwards and shame them on Twitter, then that would, you know, perhaps that would create a majority around something. It's not clear to me that that actually would work but mm. that's the that's the general idea and i mean one of the the, the consensus is if there's, if there's a majority for anything in the quarters it's for a kind of softer brexit mm. than the withdrawal agreement this, this is where i become sort of real stickler for the kind of legalese around it but at, what does that actually mean when theresa may is actually just getting votes here on on you know actually getting out and the political declaration is obviously non-binding and surely mm. a soft brexit is still on the cards even if you vote for the withdrawal agreement yeah it's one of the number of red herrings I mean you can make yeah. the list of them I mean the Burko thing last week bit of a red herring uh, parliament taking back control bit of a red herring um, and this is another one I mean often you listen to even like even the likes of Esther McVeigh who's supposedly a prominent Brexiteer saying we can have no deal and then negotiate during a transition period mm. it just betrays a like an ignorance of the basic process that is kind of staggering yeah um so yeah i mean but, in terms of the with and what happened now has nothing to do with whether or not we have a soft or hard brexit i mean that if, you, if we t sort of turn that on it on its head a bit i personally thought that what may should have done is say sh earlier that she would resign um as a bit of a kind of red meat to the brexiteers and make that kind of contingent on their support for the deal and then they could get the kind of you know, the Prince Cross the Water, whoever it might be, Boris Johnson perhaps, to come and, you know, ensure a proper Canada-style FTA, which is what they all want in the first place. Um, one sort of side point to come back to something we were talking about mm. is this: there's this idea that that's still really pervasive that we can't get out of the backstop, but that, that seems to have been disputed, because, I mean, I was reading on, on Twitter earlier this week that um, David Panic, who represented Gina Miller, but is also, you know, one of the most senior... Um, QCs in the country saying that you can you can just unilaterally withdraw from a treaty like I mean the Americans did it with NAFTA like it's mm -hmm. it seems to me to be the biggest most important red herring and it's barely discussed really. and, and I think the other the other thing is is that, is that um, people talk about the EU trapping the UK in the backstop. I mean, firstly, there's there's very little indication that that's actually what they want to do, yeah. and secondly, and particularly in terms of the instrument that was. Uh, negotiated in Strasbourg last week. It's now even clearer that the, the EU can't deliberately trap the UK in the backstop, mm -hmm. and all the U, all the UK needs to do to escape the backstop is come up with a proposal for the future relationship that so avoids a hard border yeah. in, in Northern Ireland. So and that, Brexiteers yeah. say that they 
that there's all this wonderful technology out there that can do that. If you're so confident that technology can solve the Irish border issue, then why do you fear being trapped in the backstop? Exactly. I think that's the, the one of the most frustrating bits of this, among many frustrating mm. things. Not, but, but, but if there is, as you say, if there is a solution to the border and Britain is presenting that solution in good faith and so on in negotiations with the EU and the EU frustrates that, those are, even, not, not, in, not in an extreme kind of Treaty of Vienna way, those are the circumstances in which we can't, you know, yeah, we we are basically fine. Um, we can take it to arbitration. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it's not really clear what the advantages to the to them of keeping us in it are anyway. No, no. no. So the EU are clear that they don't want the backstop any more than than we do. The they Irish see it as a don't want it exactly. Yeah, yeah. you know, a UK wide customs union is is a huge concession. For Isn't there also a, sort of bigger picture point about the Irish border, which is if you if you're pro Brexit. Uh, I'm actually someone who voted Leave, um, and you support Brexit for various reasons to do with trade and um, um, deregulation, whatever it, whatever it may be. Um, it's a reasonable. The logic of the backstop is perfectly reasonable in that, and I'm not like a huge fan of it. But actually, oddly, the more time that's gone on, the sort of more I could, the more I can sort of um, learn to love it. But if you if you accept that there are these opportunities that brexit provides but when but but equally there are considerations to do with peace in ireland which is no small thing yeah. i mean that's peace in northern ireland is part of the uk mm. we are talking about peace in this country um then it's not unreasonable that you know f- fulfilling that brexit dream might be dependent on you know satisfying some other things some other things first so yeah. Anyway, that's my sort of rant about the backstop but it's a bigger picture thing as well as you know you can hide in the legalese but actually it's a you ultimately have to also put your money where your mouth is in terms of respecting um, the importance of the Good Friday Agreement, uh, peace, peace in Ireland, and so on. Um, but let's sort of shift slightly. Um, we were talking about um, a softer Brexit being maybe one of the things that Parliament, there might be a majority mm. for, and what's wrong with that in sort of procedural terms. That, I think, brings us neatly onto the Labour front bench's stance. Because it's an underappreciated fact um, that you know their position is to not reopen the withdrawal agreement. So their objection to Theresa May's deal is based on non-binding mm. bit. Um, do you think? I mean, who, who wants to jump in on that? And I, I, John, it's just ludicrous because the thing they object to is being stuck in an arrangement that they want. Yes, uh, exactly. Their position is we want to be in a customs union. The objection to the backstop uh, being. Not um, to the backstop is that we will be quote you know trapped in a customs union. Then what's Labour's problem with that? I don't know. I I mean I don't want to sound too sort of personal, but I really really get the impression that Jeremy Corbyn doesn't understand the differences between various sort of nuances of European institutions. I've heard him mix up which countries are in which the single market and the customs union and stuff like that. And then you have this kind of dichotomy between him, McDonald, Milne the kind of old-school Eurosceptic Labour, and Keir Starmer, who's in a completely different place on Brexit to them. And they've had this kind of pinhead dancing for about... It's almost impressive in a way. They've managed to keep this kind of charade going on for so long and hold the kind of fragile coalition more or less together. Um, Obviously, we've seen some departures. But, yeah, I mean, it's completely incoherent. But but can anyone see them... I mean, does everyone here think they'll stick to that, or do you think there is a chance that they... I mean, not so much in the next week or so necessarily, but do you think there's a chance they go further down the people's vote road? And I mean, there is a, the pressure on the, the leadership of the Labour Party is immense at the moment on, on, on that subject. 
Well, they kind of um, they seem to really close down their options on the people's vote front today because they. Um, there was, yeah, there was a, there was a, there was a statement from Labour that basically said that they, like the government, want a three month or thereabouts extension, mm-hmm. and that is not enough time for a second referendum. If if you want a short extension, then that leads to Brexit, and pretend you know, you, you could make a case for there being time in the short extension to renegotiate the political declaration, and yeah. that would lead to a soft Brexit, um, or wouldn't necessarily lead to a soft Brexit. Of course, it's not binding, but. Um, if you want, but of course, if you, you could want, do that yeah. after the deal's passed. Exactly, I mean, exactly. Yeah, which is why this whole thing is so ludicrous. I mean, so something that's been floated, I think, is certainly a case for would be for there to be for a, a general election before the future relationship comes into yeah. place, and then and then that would be the moment at which this question of what relationship the UK wants with the EU can be decided. But I think that's a really key point, right? As you say, Labour don't have real issues with the withdrawal agreement, which is the legally binding thing, but what they want from the future relationship is also not ruled out by the political declaration, which isn't legally binding. So, you know, if they take three months to renegotiate the political declaration to rule in a customs union or whatever it is, that's kind of unnecessary because Mm -hmm. they can get that if they're running the country when we're doing those negotiations in a hypothetical world. I mean, do you think there's a sort of political failing then in terms of, I mean, I don't think enough people appreciate that fact about the Labour Party's position. Mm. And I mean, ultimately, that's their political opponent's fault. I mean, surely the Conservatives... One of the th- one of the, the many things they got wrong about selling this deal is is the not to point out the kind of ludicrous nature of that position. Yeah, I mean, I just want to come back on the kind of calculation from Labour's point of view. It's all based on the idea that I, I suspect that the kind of Milne, McDonnell, Corbyn area are thinking we'll push them as hard as it possible to try and weaken the Tories to the extent that a general election becomes inevitable and on that basis we'll have a general mm-hmm. election and win. Their whole game plan is not about, it's not really about Brexit, we no, know that sounds. It's about somehow getting Corbyn into number 10. Mm-hmm. And, and it's kind of, I, I guess they're becoming more, uh, they need something cataclysmic to happen more now than ever because they're really not, they're not close in the polls or anything. It's not like they're, mm-hmm. it's not a one more heave situation. No. It's a catastrophe total chaos, resignations, that's what they need um, and that's kind of what they're focused on. The technical details of Brexit are not really are not really the issue for the Labour leadership. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. 
Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I think one, I think one of the broader interesting points about the withdrawal agreement, um, sorry, the political declaration and, and as well as Labour and, and election is actually, regardless of Labour, I think there's quite a strong case for saying that there needs to be a fresh mandate for Brexit, or the kind of Brexit, the kind of future relationship we have. I mean, mm. because of because of the last election, because of potential changes in Tory leadership. So it's hard to see a scenario in which, you know, even if May's deal passes and the Conservatives remain in power and so on, and so the most the most harmonious version of events possible. It's hard to see a way in which that even that scenario, the political declaration, is an ends up being an especially important document. I think that's right, because I think the trade-offs of the future relationship still really haven't been spelled out. I would argue, I think to MPs, most of them probably don't know what it what it really means, and mm-hmm. the country is at, at large has no idea. Mm-hmm. And so do we have a sort of a Brexit election? You know, 2017 wasn't really about Brexit, so do we have another one where the two parties are more explicit about what they want? The problem, again, is I'm not sure that they're in that space. As we are saying, Labour, you know, are still kind of being quite vague about what they really want they're trying to dance on the head of this pin and, and be all things for all people um, and actually you know maybe if you had a different conservative leader would, they would take the party in one direction and be more explicit mm-hmm. but that might not happen mm-hmm. I think there's Sorry, yeah, don't go I think there's potentially a, um, an argument that on the Labour side of things the Brexit the question of what their position is on Brexit potentially would become easier if the withdrawal agreement actually passed because I think I think yeah because I think a, a, a negotiated exit with a transition I think that would quite substantially damage the continuity remain movement because then remain has to become rejoin mm-hmm. and all these you know this sort of like 80 to 90 labor mps who want a second referendum are they really going to carry on saying we should be eu members after we've left i think mm-hmm. some of them would but not all of them and then it actually might be easier to unite the labor party around a soft brexit but the problem is you can't do that until the withdrawal mm-hmm. agreement gets through yeah. and and the obviously the stop brexit protesters and in Westminster would have to update their slogan which would yep. you know, be great news for all of us who are sick of, sick of hearing it on the way to work every morning uh, but Dom I, w- you guys at Open Europe keep kind of close tabs on what people in not you know this can become a very insular debate in mm. Westminster but in terms of the rest, rest of Europe um, and the future relationship how, is there I mean, that's the one bit that's supposedly still open for renegotiation now are they are EU leaders kind of relaxed about the fact that that's quite up in the air in terms of Britain's future relationship with Europe, or are they? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the the reason why the whole future relationship is non the political declaration is non binding is as a function of EU law because Article mm-hmm. Fifty cannot provide mm-hmm. a permanent basis for the future relationship. In fact, like that's that that's the reason. That's in, in many ways one of the reasons why we're in this mess is that in the UK we failed to grasp that we failed to grasp that the EU has sequenced these negotiations. It's insisted on that sequencing, which is we talk withdrawal now and we talk trade later. Um, so yeah, I think they're they're relatively relaxed in as much as they can be about the fact that that's up in the air because it's really down to them that it is up in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of renegotiating the political declaration, that is one thing that the EU has repeatedly said is on offer. Um, you think back to February when uh, Corbyn went to Brussels and met with met with Barnier and Tusk and various people, and they kind of showed some interest in his proposals for a softer political declaration, even though not all of them actually made sense, but some of them did. And I think that's... They, they as well as people in the UK, have this impression that there is this kind of latent majority in the Commons for a softer Brexit, and they think that that might be one way through the mess. 
But it, it's worth ruling out what they don't want. It is true that mm. the yes, idea that they don't want like a second referendum. What is the Brussels view on that? That is, I mean, there is no one Brussels view. But no, yeah, I think I think it varies actually. Because we we did um, at Open Europe, we did we did some kind of analysis on uh, country by country views on extension. So mm. to slightly come back to that, and and you know there were there were several who several countries like germany and austria in particular are quite keen for a short extension and for the uk to be out before the eu elections but there are a few member states who are who are holding out for a long extension precisely because they were quite keen on a second referendum i think um the czechs and the maltese and luxembourg as well and potentially the irish mm-hmm. um because obviously brexit in, is obviously quite messy for ireland so um, but there's also quite a lot of worry that, you know, if, if the UK was to rejoin the EU now, we wouldn't exactly, or even stay in the EU not having left, we wouldn't necessarily be the most harmonious partner because we'd have this huge leave minority potentially if it was 58, uh, 52-48 the other mm-hmm. way. So, you know, potential for us to throw our weight around and cause quite a lot of trouble. I mean, do you think that's one of the, do you think that was one of the problems with one of the mistakes some EU leaders made earlier on in the process was they were too willing to indulge the like check the, the people's vote kind of crowd in the UK and kind of meet Tony Blair and discuss mm. I mean do you think that's kind of that did quite a lot to, 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 to sour things in the eyes of Brexiteers in Britain I mean do you think that that was a mistake that do you know, do you know what I mean yeah, like Barney, I yeah, people yeah. And yeah. kind of being seen to undermine mm. the kind of you know we're talking to the gov- British government um, kind of straightforward approach yeah i think it did it, it did take a little bit of time in not not just in the eu as well but i think um you know third third, third country partners as well like you know i think um a friend friend and works with 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 canada said that that it took them a while to to really clock that the that the uk was actually going to leave after yeah. having voted to leave and i think that did cause a little bit of uncertainty back in 2016 i don't think it's necessarily damaged the process as much as other things have damaged the process but it was definitely a, a factor yeah okay i'm gonna we're gonna i'm gonna bring things back to the kind of the here and now a bit more which is um the, the the vote next week the meaningful vote which we talked about the third meaningful vote um what needs to happen i mean we talked about how much of an uphill battle it is for the prime minister but in the scenario that that ends well for her what has to happen between now and um now the vote. I don't just mean the DUP needs to come aside and so on, but like what could happen that would actually focus minds? What could happen that would persuade a Labour MP that they should back this deal or a Brexiteer to think that, you know, this is the only version of Brexit available? Because right now she's facing kind of both ways again, isn't she? So they don't have any kind of I mean, thoughts I on that. Tusk's statement earlier today is, is quite helpful for that. You know, the fact that we will only get an extension if the deal is approved does make it quite clear sort of you know this is the kind of the, the only game in town which is which is useful um we we're talking earlier about sort of you know whether or not the speaker will allow another vote that i think that needs to be a, there does need to be some discussion about that um obviously if there is a majority or if there seems to be a majority in the house to approve the deal then that majority can mm. cause the vote to happen um, so I think there's going to be a lot more sort of reports of you know DUP and, and backbenchers going into number ten over the next few days, seeing where they are. Mm. I, I, it's so hard to tell at the moment if there, if there are enough of them to shift the dial. Yeah, and I think um, any any sense that a no deal in June is kind of suddenly back on the table, whether or not that's actually true, because I don't think Parliament would allow it. But if if people if ERG types start to smell blood on that front and think that they can get no deal either next week or in June by voting down the deal or sitting on their hands, then I think they'll take it. 
Um, so I think the government's... I think the... I, I really thought of the government's initial strategy of... Which they seem to have moved away from, of kind of holding a long extension over mm. MPs' heads in order to get the deal through. I thought that was actually quite sensible because it's not, it's not actually just Brexiteers that that would work on because there are quite a few Labour MPs who, yes, are more inclined towards a soft Brexit, yes, haven't backed the government's deal so far, but really don't want a situation where the UK stays in the EU um, long enough to be holding EU elections. I mean, mm-hmm. people like Stephen Kinnock and Lucy Powell, who are very much strong Norway plus backers, have made some quite negative noises about the idea of a long extension um, so, uh, you know, and there's also just, to pivot away from that seems a bit odd, really. John, there's also just a sort of human level, I think, for lots of MPs as well, with a lot of mm. extension that it just seems so unbearable. That yeah, it's been yeah, so yeah. painful. And then two more years yeah. of this is kind of the last thing they want. Definitely. Especially, especially if you're a Labour MP who, frankly, Brexit is not good for your party, right? And it's yeah, not. Not good at all. And I think, in fact, they've done some reports ahead of the local elections, and it says they're, hem- well, maybe hemorrhaging is too strong a word, but they're losing support in certain areas because they're perceived as being anti-Brexit now, which is mm. certainly something that a lot of those MPs, um, the two that Dom just mentioned being a good example, they're scared of that. Lisa Nanley is another one who's like that. Mm. She's got quite a leave-heavy constituency. She's personally not a Brexiteer by any stretch of the imagination, but they see the kind of writing on the wall for the party. Mm. Mm. People talk about Tory division a lot, but if you think about the kind of Labour coalition electorally it's just as frayed yeah it's kind of especially a mirror image isn't it yeah exactly it's different proportions yeah Yeah, exactly Um, so yeah I mean I don't um, I don't think it's an easy decision but I think there's perhaps a group of Labour MPs who will make that calculation the closer we get it's very difficult to say what people do under pressure as well that's Um, true I mean one just strange things (laughs) the reason why I'm quite pessimistic in terms of the Labour thing is if you think back to the meaningful vote too uh, there was a huge push by the government to get Labour people on side, not the not the leadership, but individual MPs. There was the money for towns. There was mm-hmm. um, promises on uh, workers' rights, which didn't amount to much. But that's because they, by definition, can't really amount to much, right? You can't just bind future parliaments on. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know they, there was this big push, and they got Caroline Flint. Two, yeah, they got one new MP. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, they lost one, didn't they? Because uh, Ian Austin left the Labour well, Party, think, and he but still voted for the deal. Yeah, still voted the deal, and yeah. then Caroline Flint came around to the deal. So that is the if you want to be gloomy about the deal's prospects, you know, mm. the, there was no indication that Labour MPs were keen last time. But I think that comes back to the the main question. There's a kind of snowball effect here. The more likely it looks like the deal will go through, the more Labour MPs might be inclined yeah, to back it. Absolutely. And vice versa. Nobody wants to be the so one, no one. Yeah, exactly. Very, Caroline yeah. Flint, Except I think, Caroline is sort Flint. of, <laughs> she's sort of, you know, she's in a, she can be independent. She's got mm. a kind of very solid seat. She does no, she has no illusions about being in government or in front bench again. So she can act yeah. with that kind of her own thing. Um, I do think that were there to be another vote um, next week, assuming the government comes up with some kind of paving motion or something to actually get through the mechanics of it, um, then yeah, I mean, I had I, you'd had to sit down and go through a list of Labour MPs to work mm. out which ones are likely. But you never know; there might be enough to kind of yeah. counter out the ERG. Yeah. The pool, the pool they're fishing in. So I've I've done some some looking into the numbers on this. Is there are um, if you look at, if you just if you just look at public statements and voting records, there are um, thirty six Labour MPs who are strongly against a second referendum, and that would suggest that. 
in theory, there are 36 Labour MPs who are in the market for a deal. But once you start breaking it down, they start falling away because 10 of them are shadow ministers, which means they'd have to resign. A couple of them are hard, uh, hard Brexiteers. People like Kate Hoey are no more likely to vote for the deal than someone like Peter Bowen is. Um, and then you have people who want Norway. You have people who don't want Norway because they don't want free movement. And then it, you know, it's, it's quite difficult to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. actually build that into a coalition. I suppose one of the interesting... Um, I say interesting, maybe that's the wrong word, but in many ways most nightmarish outcomes is we have a meaningful vote next week and it loses but it loses very narrowly and it loses by I mean I say very narrowly it loses by like let's say 10 to 20 votes or something because mm. then you know we're in this position where technically we need to go probably need to go back to the EU and either ask for a long extension or embrace no deal in like like mm. three days time from then um, or would, do you think do you guys think the government would then try and scramble and have another meaningful vote sort of days later? I mean, they've got the John Burko problem, but yeah, that's the thing. I think the John Burko problem is 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 an issue because um, one of the things I think that's done is that there are ways around the Burko problem, but you then have to you. You know, you can make meaningful vote three materially different from meaningful vote two, but then you'd have to do something again to make meaningful vote four different from meaningful vote three. Yeah. Um, which in a way is good because it means that it makes MPs face up to choices, but mm-hmm. it does mean that you know you you have that big obstacle. Yeah. But the other interesting thing is that in in strict procedural terms, that a short extension would, if meaningful vote three failed next week, you could still get it through on a fourth one with a short extension in theory but the problem is getting the EU to agree to that right mm. right yeah especially if it's conditional on it having passed yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah exactly four yeah. doesn't come about without three passing which kind of yeah yeah and so <laughs> I mean I think that's a, maybe that's an appropriate time to leave it because you know the, the Brexit riddle only gets yeah. more complicated um, and I'm not going to ask you to make any more predictions because mm. who knows at this stage frankly planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quinn's Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.